Hey folks, before we get into this episode properly, I have to do a sort of public service announcement about something that I've been following for the last few days that I think you should know about. In case you haven't been reading the news or you've skimmed by the story without diving into it properly, Hawaii is experiencing one of, if not the most devastating natural disasters in the history of those islands, if not the United States. Wildfires broke out on Maui a little over a week ago, and the impact has been devastating. There are over 100 deaths and over 1,000 people are missing. The impacts on the island won't be known for years. Locals are begging travelers to avoid the island, cancel their trips, and allow the locals to rebuild. But they are suggesting that you donate funds to mutual aid funds within the community that can provide for people who have lost their homes or possessions or jobs or need something to eat or clothes on their back or anything else. If you have anything to give, the people of Maui and Hawaii need whatever support you can offer them. It reminds me of Sanibel here in Florida a little under a year ago when Hurricane Ian devastated the island and its neighboring areas from a sudden climate disaster. Maui is in the same position right now. Hawaii and Florida share so much, as you know, despite our massive distance in location, and I've long thought of that island as a sort of sibling in the Pacific to our state and our islands. I've included some links to donation spots recommended by locals in Maui and Hawaii and included links to Instagram pages run by residents who are keeping people very up to date on the status of the island in these horrible times. We started this season talking about Sanibel, and while there's hope on that island now, there is still a long road ahead. I hope for Maui that the process is as hopeful and that the people of Maui and Hawaii get the respect that they deserve. I'd be remiss to not mention that this week. Let's get into the episode. We have a lot to talk about. Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week we're talking about something that is extremely important. You know, I I wanted to do a little bit of a breakdown of a couple different topics this week. I like to do these episodes where we go back to previous episodes and bring up some stuff that was left in the cutting room floor. And as I was writing this episode, I realized that, frankly, one of the things that I was going to do in this sort of recap episode is big enough to be its own story and pretty quickly I found myself writing entire pages about it without needing to write anything else so that's what this episode is all about it is about the books in Florida specifically the book bans and the future of education in our state next week is going to be a really exciting episode that I've been waiting to talk about for a long time I went out into Tampa Bay and did some research about water and the way that water affects Tampa and St. Pete on the west coast of Florida I got to see some incredible animals make some new friends and see some things in the cities that I'm very, very much looking forward to telling you about. But this week, as we're reaching the end of the season, I think it's time we delve one more time into the fraught politics of our state right now. It's important for you to know the things that are going on. And frankly, I feel like we've covered a lot of the big issue hot button topics in the state in the last couple months. And this is one that I've been thinking about all this time. So I wanted to talk about book bans. When I started planning this season a few months ago, I wrote a few big topics on sticky notes and I stuck them to my closet door, which is the exact same method I've been doing for the past five years. Right now, I'm looking at a few sticky notes. August 21st, book bans. August 28th, red tide. That's that's how this season planning works. And I've got the next season already tacked up on the board. That's how it works. But I've had a sticky note that says book bans on that door for months now. And I didn't know where it was going to be. And I frankly didn't even know how to talk about it until I went to the library last week. I was thinking about books and libraries a lot when I went to visit the Orlando Public Library. As I explored the halls of the Orlando Public Library, I was musing on the many libraries that I grew up in because there have just been so many. I'm sure when you picture a library, you think of the one fondest to you throughout your life. 
My library, in my mind, will always be the one from my elementary school, with its tall wooden shelves and the checkout desk with beautiful seasonal construction paper art behind the desk. When I think of that library, I think of watching Charlie Brown specials on the CART TV, the Scholastic Book Fair, and reading a book about dinosaurs when I had a Saturday morning detention one weekend when I was a kid. That library was the first one, and when I really enjoy a book, I sometimes feel like I'm still there with the friendly faces that introduced me to those books from my youngest ages. I'd bet any money that your library and your mind is the same, the first one you spent any time in as a child, and I hope your librarians were as friendly as mine were. I've fallen in love with so many libraries since, here and away, whether it's my high school library where I had a nosebleed during the ACT, or my college library where my friends and I regularly ate pizza in pajamas long past midnight, or the libraries in South Florida, or Central Florida, or Northern Florida, all across the state which I've wandered into aimlessly looking for something to spark my imagination in the years since I started this show. Libraries are safe havens for a reason, and perhaps most importantly, they are a gateway to literature for anyone, especially children, at their their schools. I know for a fact I was introduced to complicated topics in my library at my school when I was a kid. War, romance, identity, racism, culture, sexuality, greed, violence, all the hard topics we find ourselves facing as we grow up, the things we, we don't understand, and the things that literature allows us to explore. My school had those terrifying, scary stories to tell in the dark books, and the mean kids would read stories to us and show, them, show us the pictures to freak us out, but I'm a huge horror fan, as you know, and I think a lot of that comes from how tantalized I was by these scary books as a kid. They were something I never even thought of, and these books were something new to me, along with so many others. There was stuff well beyond my understanding on those shelves in that library, and I went to a Catholic school growing up until I was 13. I wasn't even in a public school until I was in high school, so my access to the sort of stuff that, that was available to you, it was, it was wide-ranging, and it allowed me to see things and learn things that I maybe wouldn't have anywhere else in my life. Speaking from personal experience, my worldview grew in those places where my brain was allowed to grow with it. My understanding, thanks to reading, gave me insight to things I never even considered as a kid, and it still does. That, for me, is the point of literature, to push you beyond your own reality. Every book I read, every book you read, expands your understanding, your knowledge, the way you think about a thing. That's what it's supposed to do. But books in schools are facing conflicts in the state of Florida, and it sounds a little familiar to the way things have been in the past. In the last few years, the last two legislative sessions specifically, school districts are struggling to sort out what books are and are not okay to be allowed in public classrooms. Public education at large is facing a massive challenge as a new school year gets underway. What exactly are they allowed to teach? What materials are they allowed to provide to children? It is a problem nationwide. State legislatures, in efforts to limit ideologies that their parties disagree with or deem inappropriate for children, are banning topics from being presented in schools or those schools and their school districts will face consequences. No state is banning more books lately than Florida. That's a fact. There are a few pieces of legislation creating these confusions, and I want to talk about all of them. One of them specifically that we haven't really gotten a chance to dive into. It's a bill from 2022 called the Individual Freedom Bill, but it has a public name from Governor Ron DeSantis. He called it the Stop Woke Act. The word woke in this instance is an acronym. The bill is called by DeSantis the quote, Stop the Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, end quote. So, woke. 
It is designed to, quote, fight back against woke indoctrination, end quote. To put that in legal terms, let's go to an article from Education Week that details what the Stop Woke Act is actually causing. The article is titled, There's Confusion Over Book Bans in Florida Schools. Here's why. The byline is Isha Pendarkar. I've included a link. This is from March 16th, 2023. The writer says the Stop Woke Act, quote, bans teachers from teaching lessons or holding class discussions that would make students feel, quote unquote, guilt or anguish for past actions committed by their race, end quote. So learning about the presence of slavery in America would fall under this act since the enslaved persons were of African descent and those perpetuating slavery were nearly entirely white. Pendarker adds, quote, Florida's law specifically bans critical race theory, which some Republican lawmakers use as an umbrella term to target equity initiatives and teachings about systemic racism, end quote. Coupled with the Stop Woke Act is an entire other beast, the Don't Say Gay Bill, as it's been called by its critics, which we have talked about many times. It just seems to keep coming up on this show. I will always recommend our episode about that so you can understand in depth what the Don't Say Gay Bill means, but the Don't Say Gay Bill is, is sort of paired with the Stop Woke Act because of what it limits. That bill, the Don't Say Gay Bill, limits education on gender identity or sexuality throughout the public education age range, meaning K through 12 in Florida. So pair those two broad ideas, two separate bills, one that limits education on gender identity and sexuality, and another that bans conversations about systemic racism through the lens of quote-unquote critical race theory. So you've got two bills that are putting a major limit on what can be taught by teachers in class, things about identity and race in this nation that I learned about in school, I'm sure you learned about in school, but there's these new limitations about these things being put on in class by Ron DeSantis, and his majority Republican legislature. But the real incendiary bill, the bill that is actually sort of putting into action these other two bills, is an entirely different bill. It doesn't have a flashy, eye-catching nickname. It's not called anything. It's really just House Bill 1467. I'll include a link for you to read the full text of House Bill 1467. It has several things attached to it, but Education Week simplifies it to its basics. HB 1467, quote, which mandates that any library or instructional books must be reviewed by a district employee with a valid educational media specialist certificate to make sure that they don't contain porn or ban lessons on racism, end quote. So when we are talking about the books being banned, the actionable bill, realistically, is this one, 1467. The other two bills put those limitations in place of what cannot be taught in schools, and HB 1467 actually enables those guardrails. So it's important to differentiate this. There is not a specific bill that is going out, signed by legislators, that says, you can't have books by this author. We're banning this book. They're not saying, you know, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison is not going to be on shelves, or Forever by Judy Bloom is not going to be on shelves. I named those two specifically they are banned in some school districts in the state of florida but there's not a bill that's saying those books can't be here it's that those books contain material that technically broach against those two bills that are preventing what we can talk about to our students and therefore those books are being banned in order to fall under those regulations and frankly keep teachers and librarians from being punished for having those books in their classrooms or libraries the reality is that the content of the books is judged based on Don't Say Gay and the Stop Woke Act, and they are banned county by county on those merits. So some books are banned in one county and not banned in another. It is, it is county by county. I'll include a link so you can see the breakdown of which counties have banned which books. And obviously these things are in fluctuation. There might be some more. There might be on this list that are off. But it's something that is in discussion. And, and these three bills and, and a few others are sort of impacting them altogether. 
Many books banned are about gender identity and sexuality. And keep in mind, these are books banned from kindergarten through 12th grade. So there are some books for kids that are talking about the differences in gender and the, the fluidity of gender and the way that that is taught by scientists and psychologists and the complexities of that, but put into a way that kids could understand it. That's what those books are designed to do. A lot of those books are banned. And there's a lot of books that teach kids about racism in a very simple term that helps them understand not just how racism has a history in our country and in the world, but also what causes racism and how, and how racism can be fought against. Those books are being banned in our schools. So the list of books is long, over 200 titles as of last spring, and it very well could be longer as the school year starts up. And that's because districts are acting out of an abundance of caution because the laws are strict but confusing. Teachers are threatened with losing their licenses. Some involved in the screening process call the laws quote-unquote vague and admit being confused about what precisely these laws dictate. Is that okay? Is that not? It, it, it's not clear on what falls into to what bucket. DeSantis and his team have pushed back against the rhetoric as critics spread images of empty school bookshelves and long lists of banned books. DeSantis uses that tricky word, hoax. In a press release on his website titled Exposing the Book Ban Hoax, DeSantis's staff laid out a response, March 8th, 2023. DeSantis's response was aimed at, quote, debunking the mainstream media, unions, and leftist activists' hoax of empty library bookshelves and political theater, end quote. This pushback was specifically about the African-American history requirements in the state. We talked about that earlier this season in our episode about the lost cause. Here's a quote from DeSantis about the sorts of materials being banned. This is DeSantis, not his staff. Quote, In Florida, pornographic and inappropriate materials that have been snuck into our classrooms and libraries to sexualize our students violate our state education standards. End quote. I will point you now to our episode about the drag ban in Florida, because it's very similar rhetoric to, to what we're talking about right now. DeSantis's team tends to state an obvious sentence. There should not be sexually inappropriate content in schools. There is nobody who disagrees with that. The question is whether or not any content about gender or sexuality is appropriate for students of any age between kindergarten and 12th grade. Some books are for specific age ranges, and the way that books are being banned, it's sort of painting with a broad brush. Many school districts do think of it that way. They think of some books being appropriate for middle schoolers and not appropriate for elementary school and not appropriate for kindergarten. But as far as I can tell, these legislative limitations are causing a lot of trouble about what is and is not appropriate for who. The guardrails are unclear. We've also seen, as the new school year approaches, some parents in certain districts complaining about specific books, saying that they should be restricted based on the limitations that the state of Florida has put in place. And if the school board approves, that book could be removed from shelves. There was a widely publicized example of, of this conflict just a few weeks ago. A poem written by Amanda Gorman called The Hill We Climb was nearly banned in a school district, the Miami-Dade County School District. This poem was written for and read at the inauguration of President Joe Biden in early 2021. It's, it's a must-read poem. It's a fascinating piece of American history, and I think it's going to last for a long time because of how impactful it is. But because this poem touches on the fraught history of our nation, including our historically racist culture, the poem was deemed 
inappropriate under the legislation by one parent citing critical race theory as one of their concerns. The poem was not banned, but the conversation about whether it might have been sparked more concern, especially considering the place that the poem holds in our nation's recent past. The debate about book bans, which lasts back decades, will always focus around one specific word, and that is ban. Should we be allowed to ban books at all? It's an education conflict for the ages, one that has plagued our discussions about education and free speech for generations. What is too far? What is appropriate and what is not appropriate? I doubt we will come to a solution, maybe ever, but the sheer breadth of these bans in Florida and nationwide is the sticking point. One such author whose books are being banned and have been banned throughout her career is Judy Bloom, author of the incredible Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and also the author of a favorite from my own childhood, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Judy Bloom is now a Florida resident, in fact. She founded a bookstore in Key West where she lives called Books and Books at the Studios of Key West. I actually reached out to Judy for a chat a few weeks ago, but she is a busy woman. A movie was recently made of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and she was doing press for all that, so she was busy. She had to decline. I completely understand. I'll be certain to try again. I'm, I'm such a fan, and I would love to even just hear Judy's thoughts about living in Florida nowadays. But if you have never read a Judy Bloom book, I highly recommend reading one, no matter what age you are. They are extremely emotional and personal and about the insight of what it means to be a kid. Judy has already written some of her feelings on censorship. In fact, she's written about it many times. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is a seminal American young adult novel, was lambasted when it came out. Judy's books often discuss complicated feelings of growing up, discussing topics such as puberty, religion, identity, burgeoning sexuality, crushes, romance, all the weird things that you struggle with as a person when you go from being a kid to being a teenager. It's a complicated time in anybody's life. And because her books frankly discuss these topics in an attempt to make young people feel seen so that they don't feel alone in these unusual experiences of growing up, they were considered to be inappropriate, crossing the line, or even crass. The book of Judy's that is banned in Florida right now, per one article I've read, is called Forever, which came out in 1975 and has had opponents since its publication due to its apparent frank discussions of sex. Judy watched in the 1980s as her books faced more and more backlash. But about the backlash, she has this to say. This is on her website. Quote, Fear. I believe that censorship grows out of fear, and because fear is contagious, some parents are easily swayed. Book banning satisfies their need to feel in control of their children's lives. This fear is often disguised as moral outrage. They want to believe that if their children don't read about it, their children won't know about it, and if they don't know about it, it won't happen. End quote. In a quote on the excellent NPR show Fresh Air, Judy Bloom is quoted as saying, They're trying to pass laws about what we can think, what our kids can think, what they can know, what they can talk about. End quote. She goes on to say something else that, that we're going to talk about. Quote, There's legislation going on right now that says that girls in elementary school are not allowed to speak about menstruation. I mean, where are we? What country is this? End quote. Judy Bloom is not exaggerating. House Bill 1069. Among other things, including definitions of biological sex and restrictions on pronouns, the bill also, quote, revises provisions relating to instruction and materials for specific instruction relating to reproductive health, provides additional requirements for instruction regarding human sexuality, end quote. The bill goes on. I'll include a link to the summary. So no talk of any sort about reproductive health, including 
menstruation, puberty, all these things that kids are going through, that, that, that everybody goes through. Judy Bloom has expressed her opinion on all of it, deriding the idea that the government can control what children learn about and how, deriding the limitation of discussions about reproduction, deriding the dangerous consequences that could come to teachers and librarians if they step out of line. Judy Bloom, whose books have been affected by these sorts of movements throughout her career, is concerned about the future. She's 85 now. She's seen how these trends come and go, and yet here we are again, her name on a book ban list, even now in the state that she calls home. I'm sorry to say that it doesn't stop there. Education in Florida is in quite a difficult situation right now. With the book bans and the difficult barriers that educators are attempting to navigate, there is also discussion about teacher shortages in the state. There are, quote, almost 7,000 positions vacant across the state as students headed back to school after summer break, end quote. That's a quote from an article in Newsweek who adds that the Florida Education Association, quote, blames the high number of vacancies on the education policies of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, end quote. And DeSantis is doing himself no favors in the public eye either. As he is a few weeks into a tepid run for president, DeSantis is attempting in vain to tout his alleged successes as governor in Florida. He uses the specific legislation that DeSantis shepherded through the legislative process as a bolster for his campaign. The governor has been touting them as a blueprint for the nation at large. He speaks on the parental rights and education bill, or the Don't Say Gay bill. He speaks about the Stop Woke Act. He talks about how education is at the forefront of his interests. I just read a Time Magazine interview where he talks about how he wants to be the education candidates. Clearly, education is something that he's running on, but the stat that there are less teachers in the state because of these restrictions on education, it doesn't necessarily look good for the candidate. And it doesn't stop there. Around a month ago, DeSantis made a critical misstep concerning the teaching of the history of slavery in America. Less than two weeks later, reports came out that an AP class could not be taught in the state of Florida. I'm sure you saw both stories. I want to give you a brief breakdown of both. In late July, as concerns were rising about the way that African-American history would be taught in the state of Florida, Governor DeSantis decided to speak out. The Washington Post says, quote, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is intensifying his efforts to de-emphasize racism in his state's public school curriculum by arguing that some black people benefited from being enslaved and defending his state's new African-American history standards that civil rights leaders and scholars say misrepresents centuries of U.S. reality, end quote. DeSantis was met with immediate and warranted backlash. He stated that enslaved persons benefited from slavery, suggesting that skills learned during their enslavement allowed them to succeed and get jobs after slavery was ended. A gross misinterpretation of the before, during, and after of slavery for an enslaved person. DeSantis is genuinely repeating the rhetoric suggested for some middle school instruction, which the Washington Post reports as, quote, slaves developed skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, end quote. It's, it's just a complete misinterpretation, misunderstanding of slavery's impact on those who it affected, on enslaved persons, even after slavery was ended in the United States. This is just historical fact. That is totally, totally incongruous with the reality of what happened in American history. DeSantis defended the curriculum. 
Politicians from both sides of the aisle, however, criticized this language. Vice President Kamala Harris was just one of those critics who made statements in Florida damning the rhetoric. In response to the vice president's criticism, Governor DeSantis diverted the topic by returning to a repeated mantra of his that is not at all related to what Kamala Harris was criticizing him for. DeSantis said, quote, Democrats like Kamala Harris have to lie about Florida's educational standards to cover for their agenda of indoctrinating students and pushing sexual topics onto children, end quote. This is the sort of move that DeSantis and his camp use all the time, diverting criticism toward a repeated sentiment again and again without accepting any of the pushback. But the hits don't stop for DeSantis. Florida has many advanced placement classes that are taught in high schools. One such class is AP Psychology. These AP classes are crucial for helping students get into their ideal colleges after high school if that's something they're looking to do. But there was a problem. AP Psychology, due to its conversations about identity, it has to discuss gender and sexuality. That's just part of the curriculum, which is the very topic that Don't Say Gay's expansion to higher grades was designed to block. This meant, according to the college board who runs these courses, that the course of AP Psychology was, quote-unquote, effectively banned in the state of Florida. Again, massive pushback nationwide. But the state's education department quickly retorted, saying that the class could be taught in full despite those restrictions due to Don't Say Gay. But as of this week, many school districts are still hesitant to offer the course at all. If teaching it means that teachers could lose their licenses, their jobs, their careers, their homes, anything, the consequences are massive. With the rules uncertain and a governor still spending most of his time on the campaign trail out of state, this school year is looking to be a fraught one as the ramifications of the Stop Woke Act and the Don't Say Gay Bill are made apparent. Kids aren't stupid. They, they know what's going on, especially when they're in high school. They see these conversations going on around them. I know that I was reading the news when I was a kid. I know that my friends were reading the news when I was in high school. Kids know what's going on. It's not happening behind the scenes, and it's, it's going to have an impact. It seems to me that these consequences were not considered when these bills were first passed, or perhaps they were. The reasoning and the foresight is unclear, but the result is massive book bans, reprehensible misrepresentations of American history, and removal of classes and material that could not only greatly advance the education of Florida students, but also enhance their worldview. All this, as Ron DeSantis is nearly 40 points behind former President Donald Trump in the polls, despite the fact that the former president is facing four different indictments. Ron DeSantis is behind by 40 points in the polls. So what happens if we don't teach education properly? What happens when misinformation rules our worldview? We've been talking about it all season in big and small situations. Whether it's the Confederates changing the narrative of the Civil War through the myth of the lost cause, whether it's Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams slinging falsehoods at each other in an effort to politically advance, whether it's the simple fact of a quote being attributed to Mark Twain that he never even said, and still we attribute it to him. So many quotes attributed to an author that he never said. Misinformation happens. History can be diluted so easy, and the truth should be our focus. It shouldn't have to be political. The fact of the matter should be taught. But when we take important information about history, about our country, about our own identities, away from students at crucial moments of their development, the consequences of that are not immediately known. Only hindsight will show the scars left by these bans and restrictions, and that, to me, is the most concerning thing of all.
thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that we get to talk about these important things and that you're willing to listen. Thank you for listening. If you want to give the show a review, you can give it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It means a lot to me that you listen to the show, that I I like to know what you like about the show. So leave a review. I I greatly appreciate it. And if you want to follow the show and see some photos from our trips around the state, you can do so on Instagram at WFMPod or Facebook at WFMPod. Or you can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. All the music used in this episode was originally composed. I've also included a few links from this episode's research in the episode description so you can go and explore more of what we're talking about here. Go and read what Education Week is writing. Go and read what the Washington Post is writing, Tampa Bay Times, Orlando Sentinel. There's some really incredible education writers out there in the state right now who are putting in the work. I'll include some links so you can go read about this because this is an ongoing topic. This is not over. There's so much more we have to talk about. So we'll be keeping an eye on education. I'm sure I'll have some updates of also include links that you can go to to help the people of Maui and Hawaii. I strongly encourage you to go check that out and see what's going on over there. All right, folks, next week is a big one. The season finale of this summer season. We're going out on Tampa Bay on a boat. Have we been on a boat for this show? I don't know if we have. I don't know if we've ever been on a boat for wait five minutes, which is kind of crazy because the show is five years old. I'm about to remember something and feel really, really stupid. <laughs> but uh, we're going on. A, we, we went on a boat and I'm really excited to tell you what what I got to see. So I will see you next Monday for the season finale while we go out on Tampa Bay to discuss the history and future of Tampa's water. I can't wait to talk about it with you. I will see you next Monday. Until then, be good to yourself. Be good to others. Drink more water and go Gator and Muddy the water. Have a great week. See you next Monday for the finale.